roommate said it was me, and I was like, no, it says boom. I heard it. Well, I was glad that everybody else heard it as well. Uh, Well, good morning, River Ridge Church. Man, it is good to be in this place with you today. I hope that you have had a special blessing of just being in this place. I I hope that you have had a, just a smile has been put on your face as you see other parts parts of the church family here together with you. I hope you have a little more oomph in your step as a, in your spirit just before, because we got to sing songs today uh, to God. It is a blessing for sure to be able to do that. Yes, my name is uh, Blair. I'm one of the pastors here as well, and we just want to welcome you into this place. Uh, it is my responsibility and my privilege to get to bring God's word to you today. Actually, it's a special gift given to me by Chad. Um, so he was supposed to do the message this week, but he and his dog thought otherwise about it. So if you've seen him, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen him yet, then I encourage you to go up to him and ask him to tell you the story. I think it would be fun if like three or 400 people just kept coming up to him over and over again. He keeps having to tell the story. It'll just be fun like that. So that's my encouragement to you today. Before we get into the series Uh, The the message today, though, I want to tell you about the next series that we have coming up. You might have saw it on the ATR there just a second ago, but I'm really excited about this series. We've titled it No More Hurry. Last year, our church staff together went through a study together called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's a book by a pastor named John Mark Colmer out of Portland, and it was really, really beneficial for us as a staff team, and as a result of it, we thought, man, we want to bring that to our whole church, and so next week, we're kicking off that series that'll have four messages with it, but we're also wanting to do a church-wide study within our home groups, and so all of our home groups will be doing that same study together. When you came in, you might have noticed that there were some booklets out there on the table, so if you're in a home group, make sure you grab one of those on your way out. We'll be kicking that uh, study off this week. Uh, If you're not in a home group yet, listen, we want to invite you into this opportunity. I think that this would be a perfect time for you to get plugged in. Whether you join an existing home group or really what would even be easier for you is if you've got a circle of friends that you just grab those friends and you circle up and you start doing this study together. It's really easy. It's a right now media study which everyone has access to. If you come to River Ridge, we'll give you access to it. It is a just a plethora of studies available to you and if you've never been on there, you want to make sure you check that out as well. But if you do decide that you want to circle up as a group, I want to help you and I want to resource you. And so the easiest way for you to do that is probably to scan one of the QR codes out in the lobby where you'll see all of that No More Hurry up on the TVs there. Scan one of those, and then I will help you get resource. Or you can email me at BlairHayes at RiverRidge.org, and I'll get you all that you need to, to get started with that. But that is next week, or that is later this week. Today... We are finishing up our series that we titled Five Choices, a series that we've based around our core values here as a church, where we are making some choices that we're going to live a certain way this year and beyond in order to have the greatest impact that we can have uh, out in the world. You can see the list of core values. They're on your sermon guide. If you want to see them, they're, they're there. They're listed there. Our first core value is living God's way is better or living God's way is best. And it really is kind of like an overarching core value for all the rest of our core values. The other ones really just define what God's way of living is. 
If you look at them, you'll see on there different ones that we've gone over the last few weeks, like an empty seat is a serious thing. And what that identifies is that when we look at the seats here, it represents that someone is not sitting in that seat. And God's plan is that everyone would come to the knowledge of who he is. And so it's God's plan for evangelism. Living God's way is to tell others about who he is or you can't do life alone, is really God's way of doing life. Right in the very beginning, God said it's not good for man to be alone. He, just, he wanted people to be in communion and connection and, and be interdependent on one another. And his way of living is that we do that together, and so he wouldn't want people to be doing life alone. Logically speaking, though, I found this interesting in my brain today. Logically speaking, living God's way is best just makes sense, right? Like if you were to come up into an argument and you found two people sitting there having an argument about the lyrics to a song, right? They're, they're arguing back and forth. No, the lyrics mean this. No, the other person says, no, the lyrics mean this. And they're going back and forth, right? And then you find out one of the two people is the person who actually wrote the song. You should start leaning into, they know what they're talking about so much more than the other person who just tells you how the song makes them feel. This is true of life. God created, God spoke creation into existence. He breathed life into the world. And so when he says there's a certain way to live it, it just makes sense logically to say, I'm going to follow the way he says to live it, right? He's the one who created all this, and so his opinion matters more. He's laid it out, that's the way we live it. And for me, honestly, that's good, just good enough. That, that would be enough for me just in itself. I'll live it that way. One of the areas that God has talked about, and it's another one of our core values, one of the ways that he says to live this life is that we are going to be contributors, not consumers. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into that. But before we do that, here, join me in prayer for a second. God, I do come before you humbly uh, with an opportunity to speak your word. God, I pray that it is your word that transforms our hearts uh, even if it is something we have talked about many times God I pray that our minds and our hearts are fixed on your word knowing that you transform us in ways that just is, is mind-blowing sometimes God in every area we want to step closer to you and we want to continue to take steps in our journey with God and God I pray that that happens today for this time you are amazing thank you for the privilege of being able to share your word I love you God amen but along with practically speaking, right, like practically it just makes sense to live God's way because God is the creator. This week I was actually struck with another motivator, and it's not really this, oh, that's so profound kind of thing, but at the same time, for some reason it grabbed me this week, and I was just kind of like really uh, taken back from it. And it's just happened as a result of me doing my normal quiet times. I launched a new D group this year. This is, uh, we started maybe two weeks ago back over in Genesis. And when I got to Genesis 6 6, something really jumped out at me. And it was this And the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Isn't that just an encouraging thing to read right there? But hang on with me here for a second, right? This verse is right before God floods the earth. He's getting ready to rescue man through Noah, but his heart is hurt because of the actions. But what got me was that our actions can actually grieve God. 
it made me just write it down in my journal that morning that of all things like I want to care about the things that God cares about mainly because man I don't want to hurt God like I do not want to put a frown or or make God sad I don't want to grieve God like I I was just kind of like really struck with that not because I was afraid of eternity or where my salvation was because I live justified because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus I'm not concerned about that it's not because I was concerned that God was going to stop loving me or, or that I was going to lose my salvation to all who have called upon the name of the Lord. He gave the right to become children of God. That's secure. I'm secure in my salvation. But I want to care about the things that matter to God because I won't want to grieve God. Now, this is where it came full circle for me because an hour later when I started working on this message, I was thinking, all right, what is a contributor, not a consumer? Where do I go from there? And then I found this in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. It says, for God loves a cheerful giver. And why that mattered to me, follow me here there for a second, this isn't saying that God only loves cheerful givers or that God is going to withhold his love from those who are not cheerfully giving. The word love there is more like God approves of it or God thinks it's nice or good when someone does this or it puts a smile on God's face when he sees a cheerful giver. And this mattered to me a lot because sometimes I I forget that I can please God with my actions, that I can actually do something to put a smile on God's face, that what I do and the way I live can either make God happy and have a smile or it can make him sad and hurt his heart just by the way I live. I have opportunities to do that all through the day of the way that in which I live this life can do that. And man, I want to do that. Like, not because I'm trying to earn my salvation. Really, I got to say this again. I can't earn my salvation, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift by God. It is not something we can do. Not because I'm trying to make sure that God keeps loving me. Because there is nothing, nothing, nothing in the world, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. But for the purpose of pleasing God, bringing pleasure to God, putting a smile on God's face. Man, there are not very many things in the world that I like more than to try to make someone smile by telling a joke of some sort or getting people to laugh or whatever it is. And I'll do a whole lot to put a smile on on their face. But when it comes to God, if you give me an opportunity that I could spend my days thinking about how to put a smile on God's face, I'm all for that. Right? And I assume most of the people that are in this room would be in the same boat with me. You would love to please God. The Bible actually gives us a secret to pleasing God. It's really in Hebrews eleven six. It says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would, who would ever draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The answer to putting a smile on God's faith, face is just faith. It's just trusting him. The rest of the book of, or the rest of the chapter of Hebrews 11 is just this long list of people who did that. It said that uh, Noah, by faith, went out and built an ark, never seen rain ever before that, but built an ark because he trusted God. Abraham put his son Isaac up on the altar, trusting that God was going to provide a way out of this. Moses left his place as the prince in Egypt, the most powerful uh, 
power in, in the world at that point, left that place trusting that God had a better plan. The people of Israel stepped out into the water trusting that God was going to protect them as they walked across this water away from the Egyptians. I think this is really telling because one major reason that God loves a cheerful giver is because it means that person trusts God completely. It brings him great pleasure. It puts a smile on his face to know that children trust him. They trust that God will take care of them. They can become a cheerful giver, or the word is sometimes hilarious giver, because they know that God has them. In all of these situations mentioned in Hebrews 11, it says, by faith they did blah, blah, blah. By faith Abraham, by faith Moses, by faith Isaac did this. By trusting God, they stepped out knowing that God had them completely. On the other side of that, if we go back to Genesis 6-6 and we think about the sin that grieved God, it was because people went their own way. With their actions, they essentially said to God, I don't trust you. I don't think you have my best interest. We're going to do things different than the way you say to do it because we think we know what's best for our lives. And God looked out at those people and he was sad. And he was grieved and it hurt him to the heart. Because God knew what was best for them, and he knew that when they didn't trust him, that it was going to have consequences as a result of it. Now this truth, it plays out in every area of our lives. But Jesus said there was going to be one area of our life that it was going to be really tougher than the rest. Jesus was walking along a path one day, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, teacher, these I have kept from my youth. Here is a guy who takes his face serious. He really does, right? He knows he's been doing it right. He's quite aware of all those commandments, but he goes to Jesus and said, what do I need to do? Jesus reiterates the commands that God gave long time before that. He said, you know the answer to this. Keep the commands that God gave you. I read emotion a lot of times into people in the Bible, a lot of times. And I've read this story many, many times and thought about what that young man is thinking in this moment or what he's feeling in the, this moment. And sometimes I read that he's excited, right? Like, ah, oh, teacher, I've been doing these since I was a kid. I'm good. Thank you. That's so awesome to hear. Other times, maybe I think he's kind of like unsure. Yeah, Jesus, I know those, but I, I, how do I get fully secure in this? How, how, how do I do this? I feel like something's missing. I don't think I've done enough. I feel like I've already done, I, I know I've already done those things, but I feel like something's missing. The scripture doesn't actually tell us what the feeling is of that man in that moment. We don't exactly know. But what it does tell us is what Jesus is feeling in this moment. Look at what it says about Jesus. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Listen, don't go past this point in the scripture without seeing this clearly. You cannot leave this moment right here. Do not read the next words that Jesus says and tells him before you recognize what Jesus is thinking, what Jesus is feeling, what Jesus is doing with this man right here. The next part is too hard unless you put it in the Jesus context. 
you can't read the next lines until you understand and you grasp that because I can say from experience there are times when I read different emotions into Jesus that are not his emotions right like I put my own experiences and my own feelings into the way Jesus would respond in those moments because I know how I would do it but God let us see here very clearly that into what Jesus is feeling in this moment he looked at him and he loved him and then he said to him you lack one thing go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me listen remember how Jesus was feeling about him this was not a gotcha moment it wasn't a ah oh, now I got you you thought you were doing all the right things and now I'm going to tell you the other way of this this was an honest loving invite into something even greater Jesus is inviting him to experience the real abundant life trade it in right now and you and I will go and change the world together you can come with me come on I'm inviting you to come with me we're going to focus on treasures that have eternal impact in the world not just these that are in this world right here all of this is going to go away at some point but come get on this bus with me and we'll start collecting real treasures together disheartened by this saying he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions and jesus looked around and said to his disciples man how difficult will it be for those who have the wealth to enter the kingdom of god he couldn't do it he couldn't do it because he didn't think it was a good value or he thought the cost was too much or he thought the risk was way too much i'm not sure i trust you enough jesus for that but Jesus knew what the barrier was, right? Because he turned to his disciples and said, it's really, really difficult for the rich ones. I want to remind us again what Jesus was feeling in that moment, what he felt for that man. He looked at him and he loved him. He didn't stop loving him when he made this statement to his disciples. He's probably grieved himself as he thinks about it. He's probably equally sorrowful for what he's, what he's feeling for this man. Looking at his disciples, man, it's so difficult for those who have wealth. And some of us read this story and we're like, whoo, <laughs> sure I'm glad I'm not one of the rich ones. <laughs> it's tough for those dudes. But the problem is no one can really identify where the rich line is, right? It feels like a moving target all the time. Polls have been done over and over again about this, of what, what, what is considered to be rich. Yeah, someone who's 30, 000, who makes $30,000 a year, what it would take for them to be rich. You know what they say? 60 if I had 60000 if I made $60,000 a year, dude, I would have so much money. I'd be giving it all over the place, passing it out left and right. It'd be so easy if I had 60000 Those of us who in here who make 60000 are like, ha, 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 silly people, you know? And we're like, 60000 that doesn't do anything. They asked the same poll, same question to people who had made 50000 You know what they said? You know what the magic number is, six figures. That's what it takes. You make six figures, dude, you are set. That is what rich is all about. 100,000, those people are rich. I don't need anything else after that, 100,000. I did some research uh, on this site that kind of just says, how rich are you, you know, compared to the rest of the world. Uh, if, you, if a family has an income of $50,000, that's a family of two adults and two kids, you would be considered richer than 83% of the population in the world. 75,000, if your family makes 75,000, you would be in the top 10% richest people in the world. 
Listen, if you're one of the lucky ones who brings home six figures in your home, just four people in your family, six make $100,000, you are, you are in the top 7% of people all around the world. Listen, we are in the elite. It's, it's just true. We, we are in the elite. And the first step in any plan is to actually recognize where you are. If you want to make a difference in this world, Jesus would be looking at us both with love and sorrow, saying it's really difficult for you. But why? why? Why is it? Why is Jesus saying this? And when Jesus said to his disciples, they actually asked the same question, like, why though? Well, let me give you three reasons why I think it's so challenging for the rich. Three challenges for being rich. If you are rich, dependence is more challenging for you. It's just harder for you. It, re it really is. It's harder for you if you have so much. See, it's really hard for us to depend on God in those situations. You go to developing countries and you see what's going on there. When we've gone to Haiti in the past and we've experienced that, it's crazy how much dependence they have on God because they have nothing else, right? But we have so much other things that we depend on. And we look at their peace and sense of security somehow in the midst of what they're going through, and it's almost like you can get a little bit jealous over the fact that they love God so much and they depend on God so much. In fact, when Jesus taught on the idea uh, of dependence, Jesus taught us to pray in a certain way. He says one of the ways that, he taught, that we're supposed to pray is give us today our daily bread, right? The reality is that most of us have never had to experience a need to pray for our daily bread, right? Our cabinets are full of bread or something to eat all the time. So it, we, it's, it's a little bit harder for us to understand that because we don't need to depend on God for the same thing. And what's true about that is it's actually a tremendous spiritual disadvantage that it's harder for us to depend on God. Second, if you're rich, here's another thing. If you're rich, distractions are constant. They're just all over the place. If you're a follower of Jesus, you would have to agree with this, right? That the fellowship of the believers, being in this place together, coming and worshiping together uh, in God's house together is a true priority of every believer. But some of us are so rich, we barely get here once or twice a month. Why? Because we have rich people distractions. We have boats and RVs and golf clubs and fishing rods and vacation places. We have rich people distractions we we have season tickets to our favorite team and when we go for that weekend and it's a little bit difficult to get back because of the fact that hey we're at the game it's just too difficult we got rich people distractions our kids are full of activities that they can that they're busy with they're not able to stay connected to wired or to fuse as a result of it why because they've got rich people distractions you see, we can be so busy with our rich people distractions, we barely have dinner together as a family. And we think we're doing really good for our kids and we, those that we love. What a reality is, we're, having, we're, we're creating this relational void in our lives because the wealth that we have that can be a blessing can also be a curse and distract us from true priorities of our life. It's tough being rich because you have tons of distractions. It's hard to depend on God. The third thing is a little bit different, but if you're rich, the duty, the responsibility is actually greater. The third big challenge with our wealth is this, is that we need to understand that we have a greater responsibility. We have a tremendous responsibility because what God has given us. 
Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. And you need to understand that's speaking to you, that's speaking to me, that's speaking to everyone that would fall in this category of rich. Much is required of us. That's bad news. Because a lot of us use our wealth mostly on ourselves. And God says, command those rich people to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and to be willing to share. Then they will lay up treasures in the, for themselves and have a life that is a truly abundant life. The bad news is that there's more expected of us because more has been given to us. And we need to internalize that a little bit and to think on that for just a minute. Listen, I don't, I don't want to sugarcoat it. <laughs> there are challenges to being rich and following God. There just are. We're going to struggle with this idea of our own independence. We're going to have loads of distraction that come our way, but there is a silver lining, and the silver lining is we get a choice. That's the choice we want to make this year when it comes to this area. We choose to be generous. How am I going to do that? Well, I want to give you three mindset changes that I think will help get us going in the right direction. I think they're really helpful. Here's the first one. I will value stewardship over ownership. See, this one is a major shift in our thinking. I really think it is, but I think it's an amazingly helpful one. When we stop looking at our stuff as our stuff and we start looking at the stuff that we have as stuff that we get to manage until we get it to the where it's supposed to be, then it becomes way easier to be generous with it. Like, think about the last dollar club, right? When we came in here, everybody was given a red envelope. It had varying amounts of dollars in there that were, that were in there. Not anyone that I know looked at that and said, oh, I got some money, Right? We looked at it and we said, hey, we have a responsibility to do something with this money. The truth is, honestly speaking, all of that money came from River Ridgers giving to the church that we just gave back, put it back in envelopes, and we handed it out as a result of that. You could have honestly looked at it and said, this is about the amount I gave. I'm just going to put this one in my pocket and been fine with it. But no one I know did that, right? Because they saw it as a responsibility that I have this and I need to find where it needs to go. And everyone was doing that. We, we were all trying to find this way. It made us very intentional about it. I'm looking to see where does this money need to go. And we became stewards of this money because we were like, it needs to go somewhere else. I have a responsibility to God to pass this on to somebody else. The other thing that happened from it, which is kind of crazy, uh, is, that, um, is that we all started seeing it and we're like, you know what, I want to add a little bit more to this. And people were taking money from the red envelope and from their bank accounts, putting it together and then passing it out because they started to recognize that I get an opportunity to be a steward with this. Man, can you imagine what would happen if we were able to see our bank accounts the same way we saw that red envelope? Can you imagine what the impact that we would have when we start thinking about, all right, what's in this bank account? I'm going to be intentional about finding someone to go give this to. I'm just stewarding it for a short time, but then as soon as I find where it needs to go, I'm going to give it there. The problem is, is that a lot of times we don't look at our bank accounts that same way. It's ours, right? It's mine. I'll get around to it when I get around to it. But the change in intentionality as opposed to just a fluke moment when someone happens to walk up to us asking us for some money for food, hits us in the right mood, and then we're able to give it. 
doesn't quite do the same thing as if we're the ones going out there looking and thinking we're stewards of this. We've got to get it out where it needs to go. Man, I get excited about thinking about my own bank account that way. Like I start thinking about, oh, what would this be like if I'm actually thinking this way on a regular basis, that I'm thinking about, okay, I've, I've, I've held it long enough, I've, I've had it in there long enough, now I need to go find someone to give it to. The same way that those red envelopes were, oh man, I've got to get this, I've got to make sure I do this, I want to tell, be able to do this, man, it would, it would change major. The second shift that I think that we have to make is that I'm going to value people over possessions. To me, this one seems like a no-brainer, to be honest. People are for sure more valuable than stuff. I, I don't think anybody's disagreeing with that. I don't think I have anything that I would say is more important than any person's life, right? Like, if all of my stuff was in a house and there was a person in that house and the house caught on fire, I'm like, get the person, right? Like, and I think most of us would be. Like, we're all like that. No stuff is more important than people. But what I think about it is, is that sometimes we don't notice how much we put the possessions over the people because we're just not thinking about it. We aren't meaning to say that we think our stuff is more important than people or that stuff or these possessions that we have are more important. We're just doing life. It just becomes natural. We're just doing life. But I think this is where making the shift really happens. I think this is the value of making the shift. I think this is where it is, is that it changes from just not not thinking about it to actually thinking about it, right? Like I start to think of what these possessions, how I'm valuing them over people, and I start thinking about people a lot more. And when I value the people over the possessions, my time, my headspace, my thought process, my life, my attention starts going towards people rather than stuff. And I get intentional about thinking about how to care for someone rather than how to get something. Listen, please don't hear me say something that, 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 that I'm saying that this stuff is easy because I don't think it is. I think this is a major deviation from the culture that we live in. But what I'm talking about is putting a smile on God's face, right? Like I start choosing to live my life in a way that I'm thinking about how do I put a smile on God's face? And thinking about how my life could bring God some happiness and how God cares more about people that we interact with than stuff that we accumulate. The third shift that we make that I think is a really helpful one is that, we, that, I, that I will value the eternal over the temporal. See, when Jesus offered the rich man... He said, let's trade in this earthly stuff for something, this earthly stuff that you've accumulated, and let's go after the eternal stuff. I'm ready for you to come with me, we, and we will do this together. But it's hard being rich because you have so many things, and there's so much stuff going really well for us in our lives here right now, and it's hard for us to think about the future and the eternal a lot of times. But Jesus is promising something even better. He's promising a life that has eternal purpose rather than a purpose for right now. I was kind of struck with this thought uh, th this week when, we, when I was writing this is that when Isaac, my oldest son, was in fourth grade, uh, 
um, he was part of a basketball team, and that basketball team was, was pretty good, actually. The two years before that, we'd been right close to making the championship. We'd been right there both years, and we lost both years, I think, to the eventual champion. That third year, when he was a fourth grader, we were playing for the championship, and uh, we actually won it. They won it. Made a ton of people excited, including Isaac and myself. We are going nuts over it. It was, it was awesome. It was, it was this great experience. And it really hit me, like, about uh, eight months ago or something, he gave me that trophy and said, Dad, you can just throw this away. I don't really want it in my room anymore. Right? Like, it was all that attention that we were all focused on this, and it almost kind of, like, hurt me. I'm like, what? That thing was valuable. There was a lot of effort put into that. And to him, it was like, eh, it's just a piece of wood and metal now at this point, you know? Like, it really had no real meaning. Like, all that work and attention that he had put into it, all that work that we had tried to do, years of work to try to get to this place, they get it, and he's like, eh, it's just taking up room in my, space in my room. Can you get rid of this? We kept it because we were still scared to get rid of it, but Isaac was a little further along than we were in that moment, so it's somewhere in our house at this point. But I just, uh, all the thought and effort for these things, that don't really hold up after time. But eternal things, people, God's word, it lasts forever. And when we stop trying to collect the things that are here and start trying to store up heavenly treasures, oh man, does it change our lives? Does it make this life worth living in a whole different way? I think it's when worth is, is, is really worth living. Now, those are three challenges that we're going to experience because we, we just are who we are. That there are, it's difficult for us to have dependence on God. There are distractions all around us. There's a greater responsibility for us. We have to start shifting our mindset into a certain way in order to see life change. And when we start valuing stewardship over ownership, when we start valuing people over possessions, and when we start valuing the eternal over the temporal, things will majorly happen. But before we leave this morning, I want to give us a real quick practical step, how this plays out. See, because at River Ridge, we say we exist to help you take your very next step in your journey with God. One of the things I was thinking about that story is, is that when Jesus told the rich man, gave him the challenge to say, hey, get, sell all of it, give it to the poor, and come and follow me, that man took a step. He just took a step away from Jesus. He felt sorrowful, and he walked away at that point. He walked away grieved. If you ask me, if, you, if he would have stuck around with Jesus, Jesus would have been patient with him and said, maybe you don't have to make all this change right now. Maybe you can take a step at a time. But he walked away from Jesus in that moment. I think we have an opportunity at River Ridge to continue to just keep taking little steps, little steps, little steps, little steps forward. And we'll find ourselves looking back and say, man, the journey has been great. Look how far along I've come. There's easy ways to take a step in the act of generosity. It's really simple. There's different levels of generosity that happen, right? Like everybody starts in one place where they're not generous, and then they start to take a step towards consistent, which all it says is that I'm going to give consistently. Doesn't say an amount, doesn't say anything. It's just I'm going to make generosity a part of my life. It's just going to be a consistent thing that I do. If you've been a consistent giver like that for a while, then it, maybe it's time for you to take another step, just a little step up where you become a proportional giver. This says that I'm going to give a percentage of whatever I make. It's an intentional amount that I set aside to say, listen, I'm going to be intentional about this. I'm going to take a step towards trusting God with this percentage of money to give away, to be generous with it. If you've been a percentage giver for a, for a while and you're ready to take a different step, the next step is tithing which is the idea of just a tenth. It's just saying, I give 
of whatever I have. It was an Old Testament number that was there used in the New Testament, but it was another step along the way to go from just a percentage giver to a percentage that was a little bit tougher. It was an amount of money in that I've been given that God has entrusted me that I'm going to be responsible for. If you've been a tither for a long time of your life, then there is a step for you as well. The idea is that we go from uh, tithing 10% to generosity will mark our entire life. That we become what is known as a hilarious giver or a cheerful giver. That it just becomes who we are. Listen, we say this every single time we talk about giving, that we, could, we, we don't need you to give to here. If you decide that you feel like our church is, is like this, this always asking for money kind of thing, every one of us will say the same thing. It has nothing to do with us needing your money. If you want to give it somewhere else, give it completely somewhere else. We're completely fine with that. We just want it to go after the same things that Jesus is going after, and he's going after the heart. And when the heart is locked up on stuff, when it thinks possessions are the most important, then the life is not truly lived. But when it starts to open up and I become stewards of this, all of a sudden my heart changes and and as a result of it this 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 gets opened up and i start living the life fully so there's tons of ways you can give we actually believe in the local church and so as a result of it most of us give our tithes and offerings here and then maybe add to it other places but whatever it is for you to take that step because it will impact your life listen jesus or god said this in malachi he said if you want to test me on this one of the few things that he says test me in this way he says become a giver Give it away. Test me. Don't see, see that I don't come and bless you even more as a result of it, right? And so we challenge you today to do that. Test this. Test it. Pick six months. Give to something. Give. Pick one of these steps. Take it. If you don't see an increase in blessings as a result, the way they're there, stop. Just stop. <laughs> because the truth is, is that we trust what God says is the best way to live so much that we would say, if you took this step, you would see impact in your life. You would feel closer in your relationship with God. It would open up so many other areas of your life because this one, it seems to hold on to us pretty strong here. And when we let go of it, then God really transforms our lives. Let me pray for us. God, it is a gift to ever be able to share your word. Thank you for the eternity of it, that it is always true and right and good. And God, we want to follow after you in all the ways. I am excited about the opportunity to put a smile on your face this week. I really am. Like, I'm thinking about ways that I can do that. And it's made me more intentional than it was last week. And so, God, I thank you for that. I pray for our hearts right now uh, that we would step towards you because you are good and you are trustworthy and you bring real life. And we are grateful for that. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for going to the cross for us. Thank you that we can live this life the way we can. You're amazing, God. Amen. Well, that concludes our service today. It's so good to see every single one of you. Make sure you grab one of the booklets on your way out so you can join us in no more hurry next week. It will be awesome. Love you guys.